In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one woman and one man will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Emily Jones and Eric Johnson star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the other has never even seen, or at least never read, in a very long time. I'm Emily Jones. And I'm Eric Johnson. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. Technically, we're between seasons right now, but we have something current to discuss. So we're back. Surprise! We're talking about a book today that Emily adores. A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Laengle. I don't really, I don't speak French, so I'm going to go with Laengle. That's how I've always said it. I don't technically know. Oh, I feel like I should. Okay. Well, anyway, it's a sci-fi fantasy adventure about good versus evil, time travel, and precocious five-year-olds. It's also just been adapted into a movie directed by Ava DuVernay, who, uh, whose last two films, Selma and 13th, I loved. But we're not talking about the movie today. Right. Uh, tomorrow, actually, we're going to talk about the movie. We're going to release another surprise, or not quite surprise, podcast uh, where we talk Tomorrow's about... Tomorrow's will be less surprising than today's because <laughs> we've already talked about it. Yeah, so that's happening. Um, and that'll be about the movie, and we're very excited to, to see and talk about the movie. But first, today, the book, which, like any book, um, you know, you can find in your local library or your local bookstore or your big box book retailer or your online book retailer. There's lots of places to find books. They're really quite... They're everywhere. Yeah, so I, I wound up uh, reading this. We've already read it, obviously. Um, I wound up reading this through the Kindle version on my tablet. Um, but if I had been a little bit more patient, uh, it's $3 cheaper to order the paperback from Amazon. So if I ha- had been just a little patient, I waited for two days, I could have saved myself 3 bucks. I read the paperback copy of this book that I have owned since I was probably eight. So that works too. If, if you need a copy of this book, ask Emily. She'll no, I will too. not. <laughs> I'm not getting rid of this one. Thank you very much. All right, then. As I, I've literally, uh, I have had this book for like 20 years. Like I'm not parting with it. <laughs> and it's like a, it's like a shitty yellowing paperback too. Like it's not a high quality edition, but. I'm attached. Nostalgia. I'm attached to it. It has its it has its little gold Newberry medal on it. Like (laughs) anyway. Anyway. (laughs) You should read this book. Like right this second. Seriously, actually, you should sit down, like hit pause on your podcast and and uh, read the book right this second because we are about to spoil everything that happens in it. It's not a very long book, so you you can go you can get through this book in a day. So go ahead, read a wrinkle in time. We'll wait. Okay, are you done? All right, good. Really, you're done. You're done reading. You you turn the page and all right, good. Good, good for you. Thank you for reading. So, uh, let's talk about a wrinkle in time, Emily. Before we get to what I thought of this book, why do you love it so much? Uh huh. So, I obviously all the reasons, um, which I'm sure we'll get to. And this uh, this honestly isn't even like the main reason, but I'm sure we'll get to lots of stuff about it as we discuss it. One thing, though, that really, really stuck out to me uh, this time, um, reading it for like the 
I don't even know how many th time, uh, is the way that Meg really comes into her own as uh, as the hero of this of the book, but also like the the hero of the adventure who has to kind of save the day. You know, she she spends so much of the book like even right up until the end you know she's just like racked with self-doubt and self-hatred and she you know she doesn't she doesn't think of herself as this like adventure hero in fact I actually remember um I guess I read a lot of books with like like kick-ass like super self-possessed and like confident little child heroes when I was a child because like I actually remember being really like being really frustrated with her as a kid with her female heroes that you read before this honestly not necessarily um because like I almost said that but then I was like you know maybe part of the issue is that like a lot of books that you read that are like have like adventure I mean yes lots of kick-ass female heroes but in general I guess I'm I was more used to my heroes being really confident in themselves um and Meg is Meg has like like Honestly, probably like clinically low self-esteem. Like she has serious, serious self-esteem issues. Um, to, I, to the extent that I actually remember being eight or nine years old and being really frustrated with her. Um, but anyway, that's that's an aside. Um, but something something I was really struck by reading it this time um, was how much she she has to kind of grow into this role of being the hero and kind of like right. take it on, like take on this mantle almost a little bit against her will at some points. Like, and especially like in, in particular, um, it reminded me actually of another book series book that I made you read for the podcast, uh, that I have read more times more recently than I've read a wrinkle in time. Uh-huh. Um, which is Sabriel, uh, back in season one, we read Sabriel. Um, but the, the reason specifically that it, that I was reminded of it this time was the way that she, but anyway, in both of those cases, um, the, you know, the young female protagonist spends most of the book, like kind of hanging her hat on finding her dad and like it doesn't necessarily have to be a dad but the point is finding that's her, a good point yeah finding yeah, her parent you know and she she's so in in a wrinkle in time she spends so much of the book you know her her entire goal is finding her dad and he will make everything all right and then right. she you know she has to then learn this really difficult lesson when they ultimately do find the dad that you know her her dad her 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 hero parental figure is not perfect and also can't necessarily save the day he can try but he's not necessarily going to succeed and so she has to like he might almost kill her in the process yeah Yeah. (laughs) but it is it's like she has to learn this like super important you know growing up lesson about like you know adults are not magical wizards your parents are not magical wizards who can fix everything like sometimes sometimes it's on you like sometimes you have to step up and be the hero and she does and it's wonderful yeah, no, I, so I agree 100% yeah. on, on, on that point. I think uh, Meg's journey over the course of this book is definitely, uh, I think, the the best part of it is just seeing where she starts out, where, where she ends up. Um, I did not remember practically anything about this book. <laughs> yeah, like, we should we should you... note that like this is slightly different than our usual where like you've never seen it before in your life. Like you did read it at some point. At some point, yeah, when I was a kid, I think uh, urged on by my mom, who uh, you know was a big driving force for a lot of a lot of books when I, when I when I was growing up. So thank you to her. Um, but <laughs> Yay, moms. Uh, yeah, no, the, 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 I think I told you before we read this that the only thing I remembered about it was that the first line was "It was a dark and stormy night," which is what Snoopy always used to start <laughs> his books off with when he was writing in the Peanuts comic strip. Like that was literally the only thing I remembered. <laughs> um, 
And I can kind of I, I, I can kind of understand in a way why I didn't remember this super well. Even though it's obviously for for a kid it's it's, you know, a lot a lot of like stuff you think would be memorable logically. It's it's a it's a crazy story. A lot of crazy stuff happens. Um but on rereading it, I had a hard time really getting into the actual setting of it. Like, I liked the characters a lot. I liked Meg and I liked Charles Wallace, but I actually, like, didn't really... I didn't really, um... I don't know. I just had a hard time getting into the actual, like, all these fantastic places that they're going. Hmm. Um, it, it, it didn't really, um... So just it, the, the, I think it's just generally like a fantasy book thing. It just didn't really connect with me, I guess, on on a, uh emotional level or on an engaging level. Um, so I, 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 you know, I liked the characters, but I overall didn't really find myself enjoying the book a ton. Hmm. I found myself, yeah, kind of just going along for the ride. Um, That's really interesting. Well, and, you know, I, I feel like kind of in the interest of full disclosure, like I, I definitely like forget the details in between readings. It yeah. has, it has been a long time since I've read this. I haven't read it probably in five years, maybe before reading this, reading it this time. And um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I tend to forget the, like the idyllic planet that they go and visit before mm-hmm. they the go to Kamazats. I mean, I remember that that planet exists, but I don't really, re- I never, like, I couldn't, prior to rereading this, I probably couldn't have told you, like, what the point of that visit is. In fact, mm-hmm. the cover of my book has a centaur on it, and, like, <laughs> and like I couldn't have told you why, honestly. Like, yeah. I forgot, like, what the centaur deal was. Like, when I, I, you know, when the casting news started coming out for the movie, and, uh, one of the people was Zach Galifianakis and he's listed as the happy medium. Like I could not have told you what the happy <laughs> medium was or yeah. any of the ant beast. Like honestly, all of that is, is, is definitely stuff. I, I and I do, I, I don't think I don't connect with it when I read it, but like, I should be honest that like that, those details definitely don't stick with me. The stuff I remember is the beginning and the Mrs. Who, the, the Mrs. Who, what's it and witches and tessering right. And they were great. I, I, I like them a lot. I, I like the other characters a lot. And Kamazots is the other thing that always has stuck with me forever. Like Kamazots yeah. makes like this huge. In fact, um, independent of the movie coming out, like the initial, I think even conversation that led to us doing a podcast about this book was one of the episodes of the Twilight Zone that we watched. Correct. Where there was like some like weirdly uniform neighborhood or like idyllic little suburban neighborhood or something. And I was like, this reminds me of Kamazots. And you didn't know what I was talking about in any way. Because yeah. like that <laughs> whole thing about like the importance of individuality and of love and and all of that stuff and like the the like evil pulsing brain that controls the planet like that is i that right there and like the fact that she saves the day by like with her love like that whole concept like that is the part that has stuck with me like well like, and something like, i didn't realize when, when that came up is that uh so this book i i guess i never knew that this book was was released in the 60s that it was oh, released yeah. at the same time as the first season of the twilight zone so i'm sure that they were reacting to kind of similar fears about conformity in society and about you know uh was it central central intelligence yeah is, is that the name central of the, central the building intelligence. You know? 
you where know, the brain where, is. Where, where that 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 feels very much like you know a uh, a government, you know, a shadowy government agency that's taken over the, this planet and has made these people all conform to you know pseudo communist, you know, yeah. uh, ideology. Um, so well, I, th- pseudo, I think pseudo communist. They're even more like than we thought. <laughs> pseudo communist ideology, but also like. Um, yeah, the idea of, like, the collective and, like, not valuing individuality right. and stuff. But, like, I mean, I, I think there's also a case to be made that there's, like, the American... There's an American side of that, right? Like, it's not oh, sure. it's not just, like, a purely anti-Soviet kind of a thing. No, no, no. But but the the idea of... Yeah, it's also but, yeah, all against, of like, those, conformity in the suburbs. Of, right. Yeah. But all of, those, all of those fears are definitely, yeah, very, very present, like, in the pop culture of that time both this right. and the twilight zone and any number of other things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I like, like I was saying like that, that portion of it, the, like the sequence on Kamazots mm-hmm. is the thing yes. that like took root in my brain when I was in elementary school and read this book. Like I said, I, I don't remember specifically how old I was, but I know it was before, like we, we read this in school in middle school in sixth grade mm-hmm. and, uh, or it might've been seventh grade. Maybe, but in in any case, like your whole class read it, and right? About but it, right? I had already read it at that point, so like I, so I know I read it like before <laughs> like sixth grade, like I was very young, and yeah, and it like that part right there is like what took. I keep making a fist that you that our listeners can't see <laughs> of it, like of it, like take like grasping hold of my brain, and like that has never let go. The rest of it, I definitely like everything sort of in between the two, definitely. Right. I have never hung on to, but the rest of it took hold really, really strongly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like, I, I think this is a thing generally with me with like fantasy novels. Like I tried reading at one point before I had ever seen the TV show, I tried reading the first Song of Ice and Fire book by George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. and just got completely just like, I just like started zoning out like, with <laughs> all the, you know, the names and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I could have, I've, I've now read all the books, but, like, I can see that. I'm not sure I would have gotten into the first book if I had not already seen the show. Yeah. Um, And so I guess this may just be, like, a a very, like, personal thing with, like, just fantasy prose or whatever. But um, I think that the very... There's a, there's a very like metaphorical layer of this of like mm. fighting this force of evil. It's just kind of kind of like an amorphous like dark cloud. Um, yeah. I think not having uh, to just just read through this. I, th- I think having the protagonists are clearly defined, but then not having you know the antagonist as well defined. Um, I found myself wondering a lot while I was reading through this kind of like okay, so what what where is this where is this actually going? Um, hmm. so I, th- I think that, I think that's kind of, I, I, I don't know. Um, I didn't really take notes while reading this. Neither so my I. thoughts are a little <laughs> bit more jumbled than, than they usually are for if we were like watching a two hour movie. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, it, m- I maybe see that though, like the about... lack, the lack of a well-defined, um, antagonist, be- the antagonist being just kind of like the concept of evil basically is tough. Yeah. And, and I guess the whole idea of Kamazots is like they sort of like gave into it. They 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 accepted the evil, right? But then, you know, like Kamazots Jesus is... and a bunch of artists <laughs> resisted against it. Kamazots <laughs> Kamazots is a fully like a fully. I, my brain wants to say the word assimilated because 
And it's actually really <laughs> conceptually related. I know why you want to say that. <laughs> because like just so so just by sh- honestly sheer chance of timing, like I've been in the midst of a of a full watch through of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation ever since we did a Star Trek episode, um, which only came out a couple weeks ago, but we recorded like <laughs> months and months and a months ago. A long time ago. ago. So, um, so I've been in the midst of watching Star Trek The Next Generation and I actually happen to have re-arrived at the episode I Borg, which we listen, we watched for this podcast, which again, it's actually about a lot. It's like weirdly thematically relevant. Like it's about a lot yeah. of similar things. Like the whole thing is the, the individualism um, that humans and Starfleet more broadly value as opposed to the collective that is the Borg. Um, and this sort of fight against that. So yeah, that's why like my brain wants to say that Kamazats has like fully assimilated. I think that I think that, that applies. I think it I think does. That's the right I word. think I think uh, I succumbed maybe. Um, yeah, might be might be more what what Madeline Langle has to say. You know, uh, something I'm curious to know because again, I, you know, I I read this I read this book when I as I said was very little, and at that time, I mean, I'm still like a voracious reader now, but. I also have a lot of other things going on in my life and like Mm -hmm. watch a lot of television and movies and like all kinds, you know, there's a variety, there's variety in my pop culture consumption. When I was a (laughs) child, I read like crazy, like an insane, like, and I, and I very rarely, like it was many years after I read this book that I ever learned to put a book down. Um, Like that it was okay (laughs) not to finish a book if you weren't enjoying it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't read things very critically at the time. But one thing I'm curious to know is how much, like, how, like, religious was your family growing up? Like, how much religion and church and Sunday school was involved in your life? Any at all? I have spent, I my, my parents are both Christian, but I have spent more time in synagogues than in churches because I had so many friends who got bar mitzvahed. <laughs> right, but so you didn't grow up like going to any sort of religious thing. I've been going to uh, not school. counting weddings and funerals. I've been to church exactly once in my life. Jesus. <laughs> so, well, so I think a lot of the the Christian symbolism of this may, may there, there may be stuff that that went over my head that I you know was not thinking about while reading this. Obviously, when they 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 they, they name check Jesus, I was like, okay, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I got He's that. I know who that is. <laughs> Yeah, um, but but no, I think there's probably, especially given the aforementioned the amorphous nature of evil in this book, I I assume that there's maybe levels of religious metaphor going on that I didn't totally latch onto. Yeah, well, and I'm not even thinking about like specific specific religious references and and you know that like being able to like go through and do footnotes of of like every reference to <laughs> to the bible or to like religious concepts that show up and like i'm not even talking like on that level but like i do you know i so i um not so much anymore but but you know i grew up in we went to church every single we went to church every sunday and we went to yeah. sunday school and my grandparents went to the same church that we did and you know my dad was in the choir and my mom was on the altar guild and we were very involved in my church and we went to as i said sunday school every sunday until i was probably 12ish so like i, I do wonder if like outside of of any like really overt as I said, like 
referency religiosity in mm-hmm. this. Like, I do wonder if, you know, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, whatever I was, Emily maybe came to this a little more primed for her, just, just her worldview and, like, the whole yeah. approach of, like, of, like, a, like a generalized, like, civilization slash universe-wide battle between good and evil. Like, I'm kind of, like, marinated in those concepts a little more, maybe. <laughs> That that sounds very plausible. Even though, yes. even though, like I'm not, I'm not a, like a religious person now. Like I don't know. It seems like maybe some some background that might have helped make it. Yeah, if if you're going every week and you're being grounded in and that, that seems like a very likely candidate yeah. for an influence <laughs> on how you would read books. Yes. Yeah, and well, and you know what else is also like I think that. Um, and again, like, I don't know how, how much, cause I, cause I don't ever remember like specifically connecting in the, like any like analytical specific, as I said, like footnotey way, like religiously with it. But I, I will also say like, she was Episcopalian and like that specifically was, is the denomination that I grew up. Like I grew up in an Episcopal church going to Episcopal Sunday school. Both of my parents yeah. did. So like I said, like even beyond being like primed to like buy, you know, the concept of evil basically as as the antagonist like i don't know i feel like maybe there's maybe maybe there's all kinds of stuff i'm unaware of on like a subconscious like doctrinal <laughs> level that like this just kind of worked for me because i was used to it i don't know right <laughs> maybe that's a factor um, but again i don't remember thinking about that aspect of it ever so right, well, I mean, that's the thing though the stuff that influences us as we're kids we, we're not consciously thinking about tropes or about you know our you know, family situations or whatever when there's, we're reading fiction. There's no way bring I, it all in with us. There's no way I read this or the sequels slowly enough to be carefully analyzing <laughs> the religious references. Like, I'm sure I read all four books, like, within a month or something. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. Because that was how I read things. Yeah, so I was not I was not uh, religious as a kid, and I'm still not very religious as, a, as an adult. Uh, despite a brief flirtation with the Jefferson Bible, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I guess um, maybe if you could talk some more about, like, you know, obviously we both connected with the character of Meg, and I really uh, got a kick out of the character of the the witches, and well, I guess it's witch who and what's it, um, and then Charles, Charles Wallace. Um, but if you could talk some more about sort of the stuff that you know on this reread that, that like resonated. Um, maybe that'll help me articulate my own my own thoughts better because like I, I feel like I'm not doing a very good job of like <laughs> articulating since I wasn't taking notes while reading this. I feel I feel like I'm doing a disservice here by by sort of just like rambling. Well, and I like I said, I wasn't really taking notes either when I was reading it. So like I don't I also don't have like super coherent thoughts other than just like what stuck out to me. You know, right. it, it's interesting because like I feel like. I I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between like how I like looking back somewhat analytically as an adult would say Mm -hmm. like I like why I think I connected with this book as opposed to like how I actually felt as a kid. Because like I said, I I actually very distinctly remember being frustrated with Meg Meg and her specifically with her her like low self-esteem and like lack of belief in herself like that I remember Mm -hmm. being like oh my god like I do like 
Who cares <laughs> that you're, who cares that like you're playing and your hair is mousy? Shut up. Like this, rah, like I remember being frustrated by that as a kid. Right. But I also like, like, I don't know, looking back as an adult, like I feel, I feel like I see certain commonalities between myself and Meg not the like weird obsession with having like ugly mousy hair or whatever (laughs) but um you know like the fact that she I don't know just the fact that she was like a like a super smart kid who like did really well in school and that's the other that's the other thing like I want to say that that's part of like why I connected with her because like I was like a you know smart little nerd kid um except that (laughs) I did do well in school like I didn't have the issue that she has where like you know her she's sort of like set set back by her own hang-ups in a way or she seems to be not keeping pace with with yeah school well and it is though but i think i think maybe like grades grades aside like the the way that she's like even though she doesn't get good grades like she Mm -hmm. is like i don't know just like naturally smart and just kind of like um i don't know i that felt I think that that probably felt familiar to me in a way that I didn't necessarily recognize when I was little, but now I'm like, you know, now, now I can kind of look back and be like, yeah, like I kind of like, I get, I get that sort of. Yeah. Um, so I think I, that I was a part that of it. Kind of, kind of branching off of that. I, I was not totally, I I thought it was a bit strange the way that Calvin's character was sort of introduced, the, the way that he was wo- woven into the story. Like, He's there as sort of a love interest for Meg, I guess. Like they, you know, they clearly yeah, have to have friend some and, friend chemistry bet- between the two of them. Yes, he is. He is definitely at least a nascent love interest for sure. Yes, I didn't. I guess he was the character who I felt was doing the least. Like it, it seemed like he didn't really have any. Like Charles Wallace was a unique <laughs> character yeah. uh, who who had very important things to do for the plot, um, and obviously the father was the goal for for, for most of the movie was reaching mm. the father um, on Camazots. But I guess the whole the whole character of Calvin was just sort of like there. Um, I, I I I don't know. Like, yeah. No, I mean, I don't, you're not wrong. Um, I think, I think that, I think a lot of, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the, God, I have complicated thoughts about Calvin. And I mean, the, my, my knee jerk, my knee jerk now, again, as an adult is to be like, yeah, well, how many stories have male protagonists? And you could say that about the female sidekick, which is true. Several. I mean, like, (laughs) many numerous all um so so like there's that knee jerk but again that's not the kind of like that definitely is not the level i was thinking about it on as a kid and like that's i, I don't know i think there's more to it than that um yeah. i don't know i feel like i feel like calvin is important in that like he i don't know he serves he serves a purpose in like helping meg to kind of like I don't know, like, like Calvin, his, like his, Calvin his is into is like... Meg. Yeah, or not into Meg, but, like, Calvin, you know, Cal- Calvin is somebody external to her family who is right. able to look, and not these, like, wacky dead star women who is able to, like, look at Meg and say, like, you're interesting, you're smart, you're, yeah. you have value, you know? And, like, she's used to hearing that, but she's used to hearing it from her mom and Charles Wallace and, like... And so she doesn't really accept it's that. It's like that doesn't on... count, kind of, yeah. in her mind. Yeah. 
Um, and I think, and I, I guess the other thing with Calvin is like he, they, they, when he first gets introduced, there's some indication that he's like supposed to be a popular kid, but that oh, he, he is, yeah, he's like big man on campus, like total like sports star jock. Okay, yeah, and um, yeah, so I guess kind of the appearance versus versus inner reality, I guess, is sort of the the connection there. But that was the other thing I was uh, gonna say is that you know, um, yeah, it's 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 weird because like I I don't know, it's frustrating. Because he does feel a little like saying saying that this is the role he serves in the story makes him feel like sort of like a lessony kind of character, like he's literally just there to yeah. teach a lesson. But like again, I don't know. I feel like he's an important example of something that's external to the Murray family that's important for mm-hmm. Meg to see. So like, you know, she knows she knows that like she knows Charles Wallace and that Charles Wallace is remarkable and he's like this incredibly articulate like practically magical little child but everybody else ESP or something something like it it has a name (laughs) in the later books and I can't remember what it's called um starts with a K but anyway you know so she so she knows that about Charles Wallace and Mm -hmm. even though she has this like crippling lack of self-esteem herself like she also is aware that like she knows how to do math, even though she can't do it the way the teacher and you know what I mean. Like she she right. knows that like she's smart and she can whatever, and like that that doesn't convey and like doesn't equate to what other people see of her. But like mm-hmm. I do think it's important for her to see that like that same kind of that same disconnect exists for people who aren't her family. You know, it's not just that yeah. they're the they're not the only like weird family that lives off in the middle of the woods like. <laughs> with all this wacky shit that happens, like, you know, even, like, the most popular kid in school, like, you know, his family life is not great and not what you would expect. Um, you know, he's not, he's he doesn't live a perfect, charmed life in all aspects sure. of his life, you know. And also, actually, now that I'm talking about his family, I'm also reminded that I think he's important, um, especially the, like, vision of his family when they're at the happy medium, is sort of important yeah. for helping her to appreciate the love that's in her family. And not that, and I mean, they make a very big point of Calvin talking about how much he lo- he himself loves his family. But mm. the fact that her family is so outwardly and expressively loving, they openly love each other and are nice to each other and, you know, have all this like nice family stuff that they do. They, you know, have a nice family dinner and just sit down and talk and that kind of stuff. Um, that, that Calvin isn't used to. Like, I think, I feel like that's another thing. It's like, it's important for Meg to see that even though her family is like the town outcasts, like they're also, what she has at home is also really special and important. Yeah. Which is, you know, the, the Murray family love is like super essential to the resolution of the story. Right. Cause like, well, yeah, that's how she rescues. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so Charles. like, so having, having those ideas reinforced also, I think is, is really important. Even though Calvin okay. himself as a I'm character convinced. is yeah. like maybe kind of a dud. <laughs> like he represents a lot. Okay. <laughs> you convinced me. Um... <laughs> I just talked about Calvin a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really have any other like particular thoughts. I those like I said, I did, wasn't taking notes, so so my my kind of I'm just thinking back on like what I was thinking about while I was reading this, or I guess technically rereading it, but practically reading it for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, did you have anything else that that was like jumped out at you on this on this reread? 
I don't think so. No, I don't think I've, I don't, God, I don't think I've actually thought this seriously about this book in a very long time in terms of <laughs> I mean, like, this is like a theme of the podcast. Like sometimes being the geek is, is the, the hardest thing. Cause you're, you're looking at something through a more critical lens right. than you ever have. Even if you've seen it a million times or read it a million times in the case it's of true. this book for you. It's true. Well, and I wouldn't say I've read it a million times. Like I've definitely other books that we've read for this podcast. I like, I've definitely read, I think a tale of two cities more times than I've read this, but this feels like I said, okay. I have, I have, this was probably my fourth or fifth time reading it. Um, but, yeah. but, um, that's, that's still a decent number. It's a that's, decent that's number, a- but also again, that's over like 20 years, <laughs> um, which is crazy. But, the, but that's the thing is like, again, I was talking about that fist motion I kept making, which really was more of like a grabbing and holding tight kind of a fist right. motion. You know, like that's the thing is, is I haven't read it as many times as I've read some other things, but, uh, but I read it early and it like, it like grabbed hold really hard. Um, but no, I don't think, I don't think anything else really jumps out at me. It's crazy to me that we haven't talked about Mrs. Who, Mrs. Watson and Mrs. Witch at all. Um, really, except that they're <laughs> like, they're awesome and fun. And like, yeah, I love, I love, uh, and see, I can't even remember which one's which. Like I, but, well, the, one of them's witches or the others are who and what's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the one that, the one that speaks in quotation, um, I don't have anything yeah, don't meaningful to say about this. <laughs> I don't have anything meaningful to say about this except just to say that, like, I do just think that's really, like, cool and, like, a very sort of beautiful concept, especially as a fan of, like, literature and, and things. Right. Pop, a pop a pop person who broadly. talks in illusions, who, who basically <laughs> is is so, like... Their their entire... All their dialogue is versed in references and in quotations to... <laughs> other other works of art that it feels weirdly familiar to That's the way you and I sometimes talk. not what I mean talk. necessarily, but um, <laughs> no, I feel like we talk more like Gilmore's than, than like Mrs. <laughs> I think it's Mrs. Witch because okay. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's Mrs. Who. Anyway, um, mm. uh, it's, I mean, yes, we do talk in illusion, but like she like literally only speaks in quote, in direct yeah. quotation from a vast array of, of sources and um, I don't know. There's just a lot that's really cool about that concept to me. Like that, I don't know, a lot of things. Like it, there's sort of, <laughs> there's sort of a notion in it about there's sort of a notion in it that like everything that you could possibly need to say has sort of already been said, or mm-hmm. like as someone has someone has thought it or expressed it. But then it's also you know, it also means that everything she says you have to kind of like take a beat to to like think about and interpret because she doesn't, she doesn't speak in, in this kind of very direct, almost utilitarian language that, that we do. Like she, because she speaks purely in quotation of things, like everything she wants to express has been said, but like the literal precise, like specific phrase has not been said. So you have to kind of figure out what she's getting at. And it, right. I don't know, it, it's, it's just like a, just an interesting way to, to think about and conceptualize communication, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, especially for people like us who, who have been through the humanities, who have focused on that in, in school, um, I think there is, there is something to be said, you know, I'm maybe part of Madeline Engel's intent with that character is, is kind of, it's, it's a great introduction to this way of thinking for a young reader, but, um, for the skill of drawing connections to existing work 
and of using those connections to be more than just homework, right? To use those connections to say something new. Um, mm, that's true. That wasn't even kind of entirely what I was getting at, but yeah, to say something that, new. That, like I was thinking a lot about just the fact that um, I barely remember most of the history classes I took when I was in college, even though I majoring in history. history. <laughs> but the most important thing about those years was learning how to draw connections with stuff that were not immediately obvious. And I think the true, I didn't take that. I only took a few English classes in college, but I, I feel like there's a very similar skill set if, if you're someone who's really grounded in literature or really in any sort of, you know, arts is, is drawing connections between stuff. The actual practice of doing that as a oh, means yeah. of expressing yourself, that's really the value of the humanities and in a very like huge way, you know, is, is how, how, how can you, you know, express something new based on, you know, art and based on literature and based on just stuff that's been said before. Um, So I kind of feel like Mrs. Who or which or whoever it is. (laughs) um, That that was what I was thinking about when, when she would do that in the context of the story. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because I feel like you're talking about um, you're talking about it from her perspective. Um, yeah, and it's true. Everything you're getting out is is super super interesting, f- and and uh, like a fascinating way to think about interpretation and communication um, from the speaker's perspective. But it's also like a really interesting exercise and lesson and from all kinds listeners. of other things from the listener's perspective, which was kind of a little bit more what I was driving at. But but again, yeah. I think like. I, I think I feel like I think both are true. Yeah, yeah, but no, both are true and both are important. And like we're both we're both driving at at an important like why this is such a fascinating thing to do, um, because it's like in the same way that you're talking about trying to express yourself in that way, like makes you make those connections and and think mm-hmm. about those connections and how to express something new out of things that all all, all of that stuff like talking to someone listening to someone who is speaking in that way like it makes you kind of read between the lines of what they say and you have to you have to think about what they say in terms of all of those connections that they're making and and figure out which connections you think they're making and you might come to a slightly different conclusion than their intent and and all of all of that kind of stuff that's um just again or just a really kind of fascinating and uh, probably infinitely layered way of thinking about communicating <laughs> concepts to each other. Also, I have I have actually looked because we keep screwing this up and it's Mrs. Who. Mrs. Who, okay. <laughs> Mrs. Who, who talks in that way. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. The, 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 those characters are a lot of fun, but I could not keep them straight. Nope. Unless, <laughs> unless they're explicitly called out as this one is a shimmer. And it's like, okay, well, that that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely, I can't, can't keep them straight like maybe in in the like again i read this essentially in one sitting this time around um yeah so like i because i was reading it in like a little concentrated bite like i i think i held held their identities in my head and kept it while i was reading it but yeah no i can't retain who they are and like which one's which which one's who who, we could do a whole who's on first about this uh so anyway yeah i think that's i think that's all all i've got mostly so i guess tomorrow we already know we've already said what we're going to be doing on the next podcast we're going to be talking about the movie adaptation of this same book we're gonna go watch the movie (laughs) and then talk about it 
I'm, I'm, I have, I have no idea how, like, I'm, I, I have no idea how different it is. Like, I haven't read anything about the movie, so like, part of me is expecting that that you know, this being a Disney movie, that they just completely changed everything, and it's like a huge action spectacle now. But <laughs> I guess it's we'll have to wait and see. So I should perhaps disclose that I've actually already seen the movie. Um, I tried very hard, and I think I succeeded to keep the movie out of this book discussion. Um, as far as I can tell you, did. I, I don't actually it's know. It's possible that some of my interpretive thoughts about the book may, but I don't think they are. I, I think I, I think I held it. Everything separate. you said rang true to my experience reading the text. So, at the very um, least, what you've suggested is reinforced by the movie rather than created by. It. Anyway, but I will just, I will just say, I am so excited uh, for to hear your thoughts on the movie. I'm so excited for you to see it, and I'm so excited to to hear what what you have to say about it. Well, I am excited to see the movie and to say those things that I will have said about it. <laughs> once you know so, what they are. <laughs> <laughs> once I know where they are, which I don't. Um, until then, Emily, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ, but don't tweet at me for the next couple of hours. I'm going to be at the movies when we're going to see this. <laughs> this is Giant Geek versus Mega Noob saying goodnight unto you all. Give me your hands if we be friends and Robin shall restore amends. English, Shakespeare. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com.